Welcome back to the Sober Grind podcast. I am joined by my friends, Pej, and I'm of course your co-host Austin. Today we have a very interesting and hopefully helpful topic for you all and for family members. The act of and gift of desperation. Gift of desperation. The gift of desperation. Gift. What does that mean to you, Pesh? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in learning more about this. So what is the gift of desperation? Because pardon my uh, ignorance, I have not heard this term before. Okay. So I'm excited to learn with our audience. Well, I mean, in the recovery community, often we will hear this term, the gift of desperation. And people wonder, like, you know, that's like a contradiction. How is that a gift? Mm. In reality, um, <clears throat> a person doesn't usually get well when it comes to substance abuse um, disorder, when, when they are out using and drinking and it's become a major problem in their life, until they get desperate, they never really uh, mm. are able to come into the path. And even when they come into the path, if they're not completely desperate, if they're not completely licked, um, then they're not desperate and they don't actually get this thing. I see a lot of people that come into recovery. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of them may have... Uh, run into some barriers and, and, and it's holding them back, whether it be with the law, whether it be with uh, familial problems, whether it be with, um, you know, being put on academic probation or being kicked out of school. Certain things may happen in somebody's life to where um, they, mm. they have now had to seek help. So some of them come into treatment, some of them come into 12-step programs, some of them, you know, go into the path of, of recovery. But do they stay? Not often. You know, a lot of times... Um, Things will come up and they won't completely be desperate enough mm. to the point where they want to embrace recovery. So um, the, the gift of desperation is, is that when you actually come into the path and you're desperate enough to where you've lost everything and, um, you know, a lot of times nobody wants to have anything to do with you anymore or, or there's people are limited in the way that they interact with you or help you anymore, that's when people actually um, get to work, you know, at the recovery program, however that may be, and once they get to the point where they want to get in the recovery, then you know that whole becoming desperate is a gift mm. within itself. I see. Yes. Gotcha. Thank you for that explanation. Uh, we're certainly going to dive deeper into that. I want to open it up to questions as always as well. Uh, let us know where you're watching from. Say hello. We're here to talk and answer questions and make this a learning, helpful, and hopefully somewhat fun experience for everyone I hope so. involved as well. I hope so. so. Uh, whether you're watching this live, whether you're watching it afterwards or listening to it, send us some questions, leave some comments, leave some questions, share this with loved ones, uh, and we will get back to you as soon as we possibly can or answer it in the next or answer it live regardless. So let's, th this sounds like it aligns a lot with term rock bottom mm -hmm. so i assume well can't assume i know the yeah. rock bottom is different for different people mm -hmm. at that point yeah so how do you hit rock bottom mm -hmm. how do you know that you've hit rock bottom mm -hmm. well you know there's there's a lot of different see when it comes to rock bottom um a lot of people think that you have to hit rock bottom in order to mm -hmm. actually seek sobriety to seek recovery and the reality of it is is that um a lot of people can hit rock bottom multiple times there's a saying mm. another saying Pej is just full of sayings it's just stuff i've learned over the years but <laughs> phrase of the day with Pej. there's a saying that every uh 
every bottom has a trap door. So every rock mm. bottom has a trap door. Sure. And uh, let's say, for example, like uh, all the times that I would keep getting locked up for uh, drug-related offenses or being under the influence and getting incarcerated as a, as a result of my interactions from the things that I would do when I was out there using and drinking, well... It's like every time I go into jail, you think that that should be a bottom, right? I mean, this is it. Like you're you're done. You you've you're in jail. Like this is the last place that you would have wanted to end up. And now you get you, you when I'd be in there, I'd be absolutely convinced that I'm going to be good. When I get out, I'm going to behave right. I'm going to walk a straight line. And the second I would get out, I would be right back out and doing what I was doing. Now, mm. why why was that? Because sometimes I would still be able to pull a ball over somebody's eyes and they would be able to support me mm-hmm. and by supporting me that was also harboring a active addict and alcoholic so i would just go right back to doing what i was doing therefore my rock bottom was senseless i mean mm-hmm. it really wasn't a rock bottom because i still had some more mileage you know i was still able to go back out and and go for another run yeah yeah gotcha so, i mean rock bottom mm-hmm. could be different for a lot of people if you look at homeless people that have um a lot of homeless people are obviously living out there because uh, they have mental illness, right? Or mental illness that's coupled with addiction. And some people are just out there because they're straight up addicts and alcoholics and they live to get loaded. You know, mm. a lot of them, a lot of people will give money to homeless thinking that they're they're helping them. But it's actually, you know, I believe that you're actually hurting them. When you're giving an addict, you know, and you don't know that they're an addict, they're sitting sure. on the side of the freeway and you give them money, but you don't know that the second you give them money, if everybody keeps giving them money, they're going to make it to their dealer's house or to their dealer's yeah. place, get it's some more drugs, sometimes. and then they're going to go to some motel and they're going to get loaded. Yeah. They're going to put a needle in their arm or get loaded and get a bottle and keep drinking. So, um, you know, for them, it's like, where's their bottom? Is it really a bottom when... That's their survival mechanism is to be able to to nurture their addiction by having by begging people for money, by panhandling and getting people to keep giving them money. So there's really no bottom there. And you would think a homeless person is living in their rock bottom, but that's not a bottom, right? Mm-hmm. I think personally one of the best rock bottoms that anybody could experience is, is the bottom within. Mm-hmm. And that means when you're absolutely uh, licked, again, like I said yeah. it earlier, to the point where you're like um, – not only have I drained and exhausted all of my resources physically with all my family, friends, and, and nobody wants to have anything to do with me, but I'm just sick and tired of my own self. Mm-hmm. When you actually have that, that uh, where you, the point where you get honest with your innermost self and you just don't like the way you're living anymore and you really want to change yourself, I think that's like the ultimate bottom and that's the one where, you know, it's kind of like a spiritual rock bottom. Like, like your spirit is dead and you want to rejuvenate and re-enliven it. I assume you need some sort of self-awareness at that point as well. What if you're at that point, but you just don't know how to take the next step to get help? What if, to kind of uh, paraphrase what uh, Tarek said in a meeting um, the other day, mm-hmm. that even if you've hit rock bottom, the pain of getting help needs to be less than the pain that you're currently in. Well, this doesn't just go towards the addict that's not in the full pain that they need to be in or the alcoholic, but it's the family members. Yeah. There's the, one of the main problems, and I often say this to a lot of different parents, and it doesn't sit well with them, is that it's not really your kid that has this problem. Yes, granted, they're an addict, they're an alcoholic, they're not getting well. They keep relapsing, they keep going out. But what are you doing to enable mm-hmm. them? Why are you constantly rescuing them? 
Why are you the helicopter mom or dad? Mm -hmm. Why are you chasing them around trying to be in control of them? Haven't you by now seen how many times they've misused your trust? How many, how, haven't you by now come to the realization, you know, the real person that needs the realization is usually the family member mm. or the loved one or the husband or the wife that keeps on dealing with these people and, and letting them uh, run rampant through their lives. You know, they keep providing the space for somebody to keep getting loaded. They're going to keep using up that space. It's not really that they're bad people. They're good people. Part of them is good. But unfortunately, their sickness, their mental illness, their disease, for a better term, you know, better you know, mm -hmm. sense of words, True. is that um, that's what's running their lives. And when they're in full active addiction, as long as they have the resources, they're going to keep using it. So you keep giving them money even when they tell you it's for something else. Like a lot of a lot of times, an addict will ask a family member, member, or a loved one, "Will you please just loan me forty dollars? Will you please just loan me sixty dollars?" Yeah. We think it's going towards books or food or things sure. like that. But the reality of it is, is that forty or sixty dollars will get them a nice rock, a nice piece of tar, a nice bag, a nice you know something to get loaded with. So, and it usually starts with the small stuff. Sometimes it's just, it's just for weed, right? But the addiction is building. So, you know. I don't know if I did I fall off the course with the whole question. No, no, that's okay. Um, <laughs> I want to let's open this back up to questions again. Odie, can you share this into groups? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So, what questions do you have now? Is your chance, your opportunity to directly communicate with Pej, uh, the expert? I don't know the best information that I could put out there, but I'm happy to talk to you too. Communicate with that. us. This is a social social network. Let's let's have an open conversation about this. Stuff. Ask us any questions if you like. And also, in the meantime, just so you know, we do we're affiliated. Beginnings also host another page. It's called Ask an Addiction Specialist. The it's actually down there in the bottom part. You can mm -hmm. you can click on there. Uh, it's a amazing it's, community. Right. It's a it's a Facebook community where you can ask uh, any question if you're an addict alcoholic. That's a uh, uh, in current addiction or trying to get out or you're newly sober and you have questions, come in and ask questions. We have professionals uh, there that are readily available to answer any kind of questions. We also have um, people that are in recovery that have been sober for a while that could also answer your questions. But, you know, we it's a good community. It's a good place to come and, and ask questions. It's called Ask an Addiction Specialist. You can always just type it in that dot bar too and ask the questions. Absolutely. Thanks for highlighting that, Pesh. Sure. So I want to get into... Let's dive, let's dive even deeper. Okay. So the maybe select few that nothing is working. Mm -hmm. uh, you'd think that they, you know, they keep going through that, that trap door. Right. Uh, the families cut them off. Mm -hmm. um, there's the, you, they can't possibly be any, any lower. Right. Even in their own, their own head. Right. What solutions are there? What, well, you know, a lot what, of times, what, what do you do? unfortunately, what I see is, is there's a lot of false pride and ego that goes mm -hmm. along with a lot of people's characteristics. Um, and, I, I, you know, I'll just say it from personal experience. A lot of times, you know, I was very sure of myself. I, I thought I could quit when I wanted to quit. I would literally look in the mirror and, and say, I could quit on Monday if I wanted mm -hmm. to. But today I'm going to keep getting loaded. Now, where was I doing this? I was either doing it. At first, it was in the comfort of my own home where I could afford things. But when I caused enough wreckage for myself where I got evicted from my apartment and I was living, you know, I almost went homeless. My mom, once again, being a helicopter mom, came and rescued me and took me back into her house. I was in her mm. house, right? So uh, I got, I had police interaction. I had I'd gone to jail a few times and she just kept coming and pulling me out and putting me back into my environment. 
That's the lion's den, as I so often mm-hmm. speak about, right? So it's basically yeah. a place where I can use in peace. Nobody's bothering me. I, I get to hide my drugs from my mom, and, and then I don't you know, ever really get well. Now, if I went to jail a few more times and I keep getting out of jail and she keep, keeps letting me in, that's one thing. But if I come out and they do not support me, absolutely no support, which my mom finally got to that point in her life where she cut me off, mm-hmm. that's the time where, cut, where it gave me the opportunity to really, really, really seek solid recovery, right? Mm. And that's because I knew I ran out of resources. I knew that somebody got into my mom's ear and they told her, don't help him anymore. You know, you're not helping him, you're hurting him. And then she, she cut that um- umbilical cord and I was on my own. Now, <clears throat> Sometimes that pride and ego is so big, so big, because, mm-hmm. and it's rightfully so, they're allowed to have that ego because somebody um, somebody enables them to have it. So um, I've seen people who, the best, the, the, most, the best success stories that I've ever seen um, in recovery are usually with the people who have completely exhausted the resources and nobody is letting them uh, reignite them. In mm-hmm. other words, like, once you're done, you're done. I've seen uh, one guy that called me. He'd been through jails, institutions. He'd been to the Salvation Army. I mean, he had been to um, the bottom of the barrel, like the lowest of the lowest sober livings. And then finally, it just got to a point where he was like staying in a Starbucks and he was just trying to charge his phone so that he could make phone calls and calling me and saying, what should I do now? And, you know, I, I, I again, I try to refer him to a place where mm-hmm. um, it was a week-by-week basis where he had nothing else going on. But what the dad did in order for him to wake up was to cut all ties. Mm-hmm. And that was – it was hard for the dad. For sure. the longest time, the dad, you know, the dad basically uh, blocked his number, hmm. didn't talk to him for almost a year. Has to be tough. It was very tough. But it made this kid so desperate to the point mm-hmm. where he not only – it wasn't even about proving to his dad that he could become – the best version of himself or do better for himself and become sober but it was to himself that he had to prove it mm-hmm. i think when a person actually wants to do get sober for themselves they have a much higher success rate as opposed to people that are doing it for a family member usually anybody that's coming into treatment or or trying to get sober for somebody else does not stay sober they mm-hmm. don't stay sober it's it's very rare that someone does it for their kids or someone does it for their parents or someone does it for their wife or husband or boyfriend or girlfriend for it's got to be for themselves it's it a person had and i think that we all have the opportunity in life to have that self-realization to the point where you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired you get sick and tired of yourself mm-hmm. you get out of your own way you know and you you just you do this you know you do sobriety the way other people do sobriety to the point where then you can rebuild your relationships and you can actually be nice to people and not use people and not just be a taker but be a giver and give back for all the times that you took. And, and you know, it's very sad. There's a lot of people I, I work with that are um, extremely spoiled by their families and their families are basically trying to buy their love and they buy their love all the way into active addiction and then they keep trying to buy their love by rescuing and saving and thinking that they're helping them but they're really not helping them. They're hurting them and, and truth be told, they're killing them. Mm. Yeah. Where does the role of um, like dual diagnosis or, or mental um, deficiencies that maybe the individual is not able to have that mindset that they need to do it for themselves and right. they're at this point, what can they do? As the individual or the family of the individual? As the individual. So I, I just want to open this up to, to 
everyone. So what if there's a person in a, in a bit, very bad situation that right. doesn't have any family members, doesn't have anyone to connect with, right. and there's something going on up there that they don't have the, the self-awareness to say, hey, I need to do this. Right. Well, what are I mean, the solutions? I believe due to the fact that dual diagnosis, uh, mental disorders, such a wide mm. range of different types of disorders. Uh, I mean, in, in some recovery settings, there's there's a saying that there are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but even they too can they can get to a certain point of recovery if they get honest with themselves. Now, mm -hmm. that depends on the person. Sure. If a person is in full-blown psychosis, they have they don't have the capacity or the ability to make proper sound decisions. Mm -hmm. If somebody is uh, bipolar and they're addicted to drugs and alcohol, and you know things are to the point where they are still somewhat able to make decisions, they can really. I mean, there's medication out there that will that can level them and, and make you know make sure that that they're sane enough to be able to work towards the recovery. We work in, in a facility. I mean, Beginnings is uh, primary substance abuse, but we also uh, work with co-occurring and dual diagnosis mm -hmm. patients. You know, a lot of times we have a lot of different people. And in most cases, people that usually go to treatment um, are, are one in the same. They have some kind of other co-occurring disorder that goes hand in hand with their addiction. The problem is, is that people with mental illness, that when they start to mingle with drugs or whether they're even using drugs any of any kind, whether it be weed or alcohol or, or heavier drugs, um, it can put them, it, it doesn't make it, it makes it very bad for them mentally. Um, they start to hear voices a lot of times. They, mm. they, um, there's a lot of times where they'll have suicidal ideation. Um, they themselves don't like the fact that, that, um, that they're in this state of, you know, th that they have this disorder. They, they come to the realization that I have this and I don't like it. A lot of them will be resistant to taking the medications that will stabilize them. And a lot of them, um, a, lot, a lot of them are so far gone. And that is why you see like when you go, let's say, for example, to Skid Row, there's people living out there that kind of like live in a mutant type of state. So basically like on a day to day, they're on the grind to try to get go and get drugs and however they can. Mm -hmm. But they've also like shot out their brains. They're completely warped, right? Yeah. They're like zombified to the point where you know you'll see the guy sometimes like that's walking down the street just screaming at the top of his lungs or having full on conversations yeah. with himself and talking to himself. And it, it, it's just a wide range. But I think that if somebody is actually you know if a fat now when it comes to family members, that's a whole other animal. Like sure. now what. When they've got a loved one that's in that state where they have both the co-occurring dual diagnosis disorders as well as the addiction, well, then they know they have a lot more on their plate and that it's a much more sensitive type of uh, case. You know, you want to make sure that you're putting them in the right facility, uh, make sure that the facility is able to have the, the type of therapists that, that can work with this type. You know, a lot of times if somebody's a full-on schizophrenic, you know, if they're not stabilized, they're not going to be able to go into some facilities. There mm. are... Yeah. Uh, you know, there are solely some centers that are just based around that. So, you know, this is... It's a tough situation. It is a very tough situation. Yeah. But it's it's the reality of it. And yeah. a lot of times, a lot of these kids, um, you'll start to see a lot of their mental disorders like bipolarity and things like mm -hmm. that in their early 20s. You will mm -hmm. see uh, with a lot of men um, mm -hmm. and a lot of women. You know, and then there's a wide range. There's everything from Asperger's to, mm, you know, many, sure. many different types of disorders that... that uh, go hand in hand with addiction. Yeah, thank you for that insight. Yeah. Uh, we ha we do have a question from the audience. Uh, thank you for uh, everyone that's tuning in. Please continue to 
to ask your questions, post them in the comments. Uh, is cutting them off loving? Well, it's tough love. Yeah, so Curtis asked the question, is cutting them off loving? So, you know, I think in most cases, um, yeah, it's obviously we, we hear the term tough love. And, um, you know, if you're if somebody, if you have a, a kid and you're, constantly supplying um, the providing the space for them mm. to live and you're paying the bills for them and um, whatever money that they get they keep using and um, you know they get to the point where they're using so much where it's become a major problem in their life um, I don't see why you wouldn't cut them off like I can just say this for myself it worked for me in my household where mm -hmm. I got cut off and it made me desperate enough to to go out and seek help outside of my family and then, and I luckily the, the planets and the stars aligned to the point where once I actually reached out for help, um, I was desperate enough. And one person led me to the next person, which in turn led me to the professionals that helped me to get my life back. Mm -hmm. As opposed to my parents and my family that were not professionals, did not know what words to use, what to right. say. It was all about lecturing and telling yeah, me like, sure. you should have been, you could have been, you had so much potential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard all that. Like, sure, yeah. whatever. Like, okay, that model great. Doesn't work. It's a sinking ship. Yeah. Like, I've already sunk the ship. You can't right. tell me like, like that. I'm going to get back to where I need to be. Yeah. Now, if I had a child myself, up until the age of 18 in my house, I would not allow drinking and using. Mm -hmm. You know, I. This is just me. Me personally, I would not allow it. And then after that, when they turn over 18, if they want to go and uh, live on their own two feet, and and they if they want to like you know, experiment with weed or buy weed or, or do, you know, drugs and things like that. Me personally, like, I'm not going to pay for that stuff. Sure. Like, if, if that if that's what you want to do with right. your life, yeah. that's on you. That Over 18, you're an adult, you know. Uh, you want my help? I, I really prefer that you be a sober son mm -hmm. or a sober daughter. Look at me. I just go right towards wanting to have a boy, right? But, you know, in the reality of it is, is kids are going to always experiment and kids are always going to have different phases. Some yeah. of them become full-blown addicts. Some of them... Um, it's just a phase, right? Mm -hmm. But um, as far as cutting them off, if they've gotten so bad, I don't think it hurts to cut somebody off. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, what? A lot of people say, well, I don't want to see him go out on the street and die. Well, what, you want him to die in your house? <laughs> so, yeah, cutting off somebody is of vital importance, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to open it up. Uh, any final questions, comments, hellos, where you're watching from? Where are you guys watching from? Where is everybody? <laughs> Let us know what city, what state, what country. Um, and then also another thing is, oh. just so you know, this is the Sober Grind. Even though we're doing a live stream today Sober Grind. from my Facebook page, we also have the Beginnings Treatment uh, Facebook page. You can always mm -hmm. come and check us out over there. Um, we, we also, this is a podcast as well as a live stream, so it's, it's recorded later. We will usually, on a weekly basis, have somebody that does a... Anywhere from a three to five minute testimonial, mm -hmm. a sober human being who, yeah. who tells us. Just kind of their recovery story, what they're up to, yep. what they've gone through. Uh, and we open that up to the public as well. If you'd like to share your story, right. uh, whether it include your name or anonymous, uh, it's your opportunity to put your story out there and help other people. And so, also, also, you can tell your friends about the Sober Grind. And the easiest way to find us is you can go on YouTube. You can go on iHeartRadio. You can go on Google. On their, their Google Play, Google iTunes, Play, iTunes, wherever you listen to and podcasts. just type in Sober Grind, and that's where you can find us. Um, I know i got a lot of friends that have been listening. Tell another friend. Subscribe to us. 
ask questions, give Write us a review. review. Let us know what we're doing <laughs> wrong. Let us know what we're doing right. We're always, um, you know, we would like encouragement and, and knowing uh, what you would like us to do. And, and if you would ever like something covered on the show, let us know and we'll make a topic out of it. Yeah. And if you want to be like part of the show and, and be in one of our testimonials, you've been sober for a minute, uh, let us know. Hit me up or hit Austin up. And we would love to have you, your voice Absolutely. Yeah, you can email us directly at austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, at beginningstreatment.com or pej, P-E-J, at beginningstreatment.com. Pej, is there anything else that you would like to touch upon today? I think we covered a lot of ground. I think we're all good. All right. Sorry for starting late. It was my fault. It's no one's fault. I'll be late to my own wedding. It's my own funeral. Thank you again, ladies and gentlemen. As always, Sober Grind. Sober Grind. Out. Out.